turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 8. 1 Samuel chapter number 8 tonight, and I hope you've had a great week and you're excited about uh, the weather that we had. How many had snow at your house? All right, good stuff. We, um, I had an appointment this morning in Waynesboro, and there was almost no snow in Waynesboro, uh, in Waynesboro City. And then the closer I got back to the church, it was like, oh, here it is. It was wonderful. Uh, so it was a blessing, um, but I hope that you got to see some of the white stuff. And I hope that you didn't have any problems getting to work this morning and uh, getting out and about today. Uh, as we jump back into our series, going to pick up right where we left off in 1 Samuel chapter number 8. We see that Samuel is coming to the end of his leadership, the end of his tenure as the prophet. Uh, he's an older man now, and we see some time has gone on, and his sons are set to kind of take, take over his leadership as judges, prophets uh, over the people. But there was a major problem that was brewing behind the scenes. If you remember, the man who uh, preceded Samuel, the man Eli, uh, did not keep his sons in check. And we see, sadly, that in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel wasn't great at keeping his own sons in check. Uh, he follows that same path. And the time of transition was finally here, but they weren't spiritually ready for the transition. And it begs a question, are we doing everything right now to prepare for the time of transition. Uh, we're not just talking about family, okay? We know that uh, one day our kids are going to grow and they're going to go. Uh, we understand that, as one preacher said, we raise them to release them. And one day they will transition out. But are we ready for that day to happen? Are we doing anything to prepare now? What are we doing right now to prepare for that time then? Whether it's parenting or whether it's church, if you're serving in a ministry. And uh, one day, uh, sadly, all of us are going to die. That's the nitty-gritty of it. Uh, yeah, I know it's great to start out the midweek service that way, but uh, you know, at, at some point, we're all going to die. And uh, as one preacher said years ago, he said, just think about the fact and the beauty of 100 years from now, unless you do something major to contribute to society, no one will ever know that you existed. I thought, wow, that's great. Okay, uh, But whether it's parenting or whether it's serving in a ministry, we need to be preparing for an ultimate transition. Uh, the fact that all of us will work ourselves out of a job. Uh, I don't want to be pastoring when I'm 95 years old. I'd like to do something enjoyable like sitting on a beach in Hawaii and all that stuff. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but think about the fact that we all have to be prepared for an ultimate transition. Uh, so let's look at Samuel's transition or what should have been a smooth transition and how it uh, came out. If you're taking notes, you can write down number one, the repetition. The repetition. Look at verse number 1, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, or greed, or money, or some kind of gain, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Uh, the chapter begins by telling us that Samuel was old. Now we look at his life and say, well, you know, how old is really old? The younger uh, or the older I get, uh, the younger old looks. And it doesn't feel that way, but at least it looks younger. Uh, but Samuel was 60 years old. So in our time, we would say that's not old, uh, but he's 60 years old and he's ending his years of service to the Lord. And we know that he still had a lot to do, even over the next several chapters. He's still heavily involved in Saul and in David's reign. But 
You think about his influence, his time of influence, and we see by the end of the chapter, his influence literally closes, and we'll pick that up next week in chapter number 9. But he's getting ready for somebody to take his place, and he does that in chapter 8 and verse 1. It says that he made his sons to be judges over Israel. He's thinking about his family. He's saying, hey, uh, my father and mother dropped me off at the temple and they gave me to the Lord and now I'm going to turn around and I'm going to give my sons to the Lord and I'm going to expect them to follow in my ways. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, every Christian family ought to be a little church consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by his laws. Uh, Ted Engstrom was a little more firm when he said, remember always that your work or ministry or position Dare never keep you from your family. If you fail them, you fail your greatest responsibility. And then he said this, and you are a failure in life. You are a failure in life if you keep something or if you allow ministry or opportunity, position, work to keep you from your family. Remember Psalm 127 verse 3 and 4. David says, children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. So we've got to be thinking, am I preparing to launch my children? Am I preparing for that day when I will kind of let them go? Well, I'll have to take hands off. You may still have influence over certain parts of their lives. You may have some amount of say-so, but the decision-making will transition at that point, and it will be on their own. And you'll have to watch and see the fruit of what you've invested. You might have a child that's wayward tonight. Uh, but we invest in them so that they can never run from. I've heard uh, preachers say, you know, when they, uh, the, the verse in the book of Proverbs, when they're old, they won't depart from it. Uh, that doesn't mean that they won't stray. It just might means that they'll never be able to run away from the investment that has been put in them. Uh, what you invest in them is there forever. It won't ever come out. It's always there, always following them. His sons meant good uh, names, meant good things. Joel uh, means the Lord is God. Abiah means my father is the Lord. But e neither one of these men were acting like their names represented. I remember mom and dad would tell us as we would go to somebody's house, we'd uh, get the speech in the car. You know, uh, we're all, you know, wiping stuff off our face and making sure our hair's uh, just right and all this stuff. And mom and dad would spin around in the front seat of that uh, Cutlass Supreme, that Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Uh, it was beautiful. Uh, but, uh, you know, I remember they would spin around and say, remember, you're a Spidey. And it was always a reminder that we bore their name everywhere we went. Everywhere we were, we represented their name. We were a reflection of their name. And Christian, you and I carry around a name a whole lot more important than our last name. And it's time for us to realize that there was a name that we received at our physical birth, but we also received a name that at our spiritual birth that is greater than the one that we received at our physical birth. And we need to carry his name and represent it well. And remember that everywhere you go, if you are a believer, that you are a Christian and you are a reflection of of your heavenly father. Everything you do is a reflection of him. So are you wearing his name well? Uh, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 1. Solomon said a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. God's name is so precious, so special that he puts a harsh penalty on those that abuse his name. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless 
that taketh his name in vain. His name is so different, so distinct that we need to represent well. Samuel's sons were taking bribes, perverting judgment. They're not compared to Eli's sons or his sins, but they were not serving the Lord for the right reason. They were in this for something other than what God was calling them to. And we have to ask, why do we serve the Lord? Why do we? We look at these sons, these young men, and we see that they're not honoring the Lord with their heart, but are we honoring the Lord with our heart? Uh, Jesus would rather have someone serving who has a pure heart than someone who's a hypocrite in all of the right places. Uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 1. How many of you ever heard the statement, uh, don't do what I say, do what I do? Or don't do what I do, uh, don't do what I do, do what I say. All right? Uh, So Jesus said that about the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They have a position of authority. Jesus is recognizing that they were an authority figure in the day and custom. And he says, All there whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. He said, What they're telling you to do, do it. And then he says this, But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Jesus said, these guys who are in a position of authority, what they're telling you is good, you should do it, but they're not living it. They're not living it out. And then how did he describe that? Verse 3, he said, "All their, uh, he said, verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They're putting all of these expectation, all of this external pressure on other people, but they're not living up to that pressure and expectation. Verse 5, he said, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. Everything that they are doing, the only purpose behind it is so that other people will see them and boast on them. Now We need to be consistent in our relationship with the Lord, in our walk with Him, and in, in talking about Him with our neighbors and family and co-workers and friends. We need to be consistent. So we see the repetition. He's living out... Samuel's life with his sons. But number two, we see the rejection. The rejection. Because of their inability to honor the Lord. Now think about this. And the brevity. Not only did the Lord reject their leadership, but the people rejected their leadership. Imagine that their decisions caused the people to doubt the service of the priests. Their decisions caused the people to diminish the value of Samuel and what he represented. I I can define that a little easier in our culture. You ever heard anybody say, I'm not going to church because it's all a bunch of hypocrites. People still make those decisions today based on the actions of others. Why would somebody say that? Because they've seen it. They've seen it lived out. Look at verse number 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. Now remember, Ramah was the place where Samuel lived. Remember, he would make the circuit and he would travel. He'd go all the way around. They come to him. They meet and they come to him in Ramah in verse number 5. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old. Old. Sixty years old. Not saying anything there. Uh, Behold, thou art old. 
and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now, think about this. Samuel is just hearing. They were in Beersheba, 60 miles away. 60 miles away. He may or may not have known. Now, granted, he makes the circuit every single year. He most likely did. But he's hearing, we don't respect the authority that your sons have. We don't appreciate that you're going to hand off the baton to them. So we reject their leadership in our lives. And we would rather have a king for their reason so that we would be judged like everybody else. We want to be like everyone else. See, the world is tired of seeing people who say one thing and live something else. That's why the world can get along with the people who are just like them, even the ones who say they're a Christian. They have no problem respecting them because at least they're consistent. At least they're, hey, they say, hey, I'm not, I'm, I say that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I live like everybody else. They at least see that and say, you know, I don't like the way that you're living. You're inconsistent, but at least I can identify in our sin together. The thing that grates on the world is when somebody says that they're a Christian and they live it because it shines a light on their sin. They see a difference. And the elders of Israel met and discussed this resolution. They approached Samuel and they appreciated him because they said, we want you to pick us a king. But we still want you to pick us a king. Look at verse number uh, 6. But the thing displeased Samuel. What displeased Samuel? The fact that he just found out or was just told, he was just confronted with his son's behavior. That's not what disappointed him. Look at verse 6. When they said, give us a king to judge us. Now, I've got written in the margin of my Bible. He wasn't upset that they addressed his sons. He was upset that they talked about, we don't want you to lead us. We'd rather have a king. We're tired of God being over us. Now, he really, we don't really know if Samuel ever addressed his sons. At least Eli went back to his sons and said, guys, this is not right. This is not good. You shouldn't be doing this. We don't see any record of Samuel doing that. And the last time they had a leader who didn't keep his family in check, what happened? They lost the ark. The glory of the Lord departed. And they were basically saying, we're not going to let that happen again. Samuel was troubled, but God had already called it out. And he'd already told Moses what was going to happen. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 14. When thou art come in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, shalt possess it, shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. He knew their hearts would turn, but their reasoning is sad. We want to be like everyone else. We see a warning in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 for this type of behavior. And it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. There was a danger that they wanted to be like everybody else. They had seen the world. They had seen the kings and the countries around them. And it made them desire to be like everyone else. They didn't want to be special anymore. They didn't want to be set apart anymore. They wanted to blend in. 
God wants us to stand out, to be different, to make us. And that's how he made us, to stand out. But how often do we just simply blend in? You know, you think about, think about in our day and time with camouflage. And you think about camouflage and how that you go out in the woods and you got camouflage on. And I hope I don't stink after I put this jacket on. I just now thought about that. Uh, this is my dad's coat, and it does stink. Uh, but and I'm not going to tell you what it smells like. That wouldn't be right. Uh, but you think about camouflage. Camouflage is to hide you from the deer seeing you. We had deer in our, uh, behind our next-door neighbor's backyard this afternoon. I was watching. And you had to watch really good because they blend in. And I was watching to see if tails or ears or uh, they would run through and you'd see you know, that white tail kind of bouncing. And I was watching, and they, they're good at camouflage. They blend into their surroundings. So we think about camouflage, and a lot of believers live this way in the world. They blend right in. And they talk like everybody else. They act like everybody else. They do it what everybody else does. And there's no difference between them and the rest of the world. And this is not how God made us. This is not who he created us to be. He created us to be different, to be a light, to be bright. Hello. All right. Uh, it's not good when your fat rolls over and turns off your microphone. Uh, but working on that, working on that. Uh, so, but the Lord desires us to be bright and to stand out. I wore this jacket at my sister's wedding. And... Uh, yeah, she wasn't happy about it. Uh, but, but the Lord designed us to be bright. He designed us to stand out and be different. I have never seen anybody wear a jacket like this. Ever. Yeah, that's right. Uh, ever. I've never seen another one just like it. It stands out. And in wedding pictures especially, it stands out. Because uh, I have one to, to attest to that. Uh, but... Are we blending in or are we standing out? Uh, in our job, do we blend in or we stand out? At our school, around our friends, around our family, around our uh, loved ones, our coworkers, do we stand out? Horatius Bonar said, if you are Christians, be consistent. Be Christians out, uh, in and out. Christians every hour, in every part. Beware of half-hearted discipleship, of compromise with evil, of conformity to the world, of trying to serve two masters, to walk in two ways, the narrow and the broad at once. It will not do. Half-hearted Christianity will only dishonor God while it makes you miserable. Only dishonors God while it makes you miserable. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no man can serve two masters. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to pick one. And Samuel knew exactly what to do with this request. They said, give us a king. We want a king. And what was Samuel's response? Verse 6, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Samuel didn't know how to respond. Samuel, I'm sure, had a fleshly response said, hey, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about your response. But he didn't do that. Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And his reaction showed the real rejection. They hadn't rejected Samuel. They had rejected God. They had replaced God. Anytime we allow our lives to be dictated by someone 
uh, by something, someone other than God's authority, we have replaced God with an idol. Let me say that again. Anytime we allow our lives to be dictated by someone or something other than God's authority, we've replaced God with an idol. Samuel just told him in chapter 7 in verse number 3, just one chapter before this. Remember when they said, let's go get the ark. Uh, we want to go get the ark. And he said, it says, and Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, if you're serious about this, if you're going to follow him and put away from you all the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, make that commitment. And Saul, God tells him, they're living out their previous pattern. Look at verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other, other gods, so do they also unto thee. They were living out exactly what they had done all along. You know what Samuel learned? It had been hundreds of years, but they hadn't changed. It had been hundreds of years, and they had not changed. Imagine Samuel's heart. Samuel has invested his entire life in ministering to these people, and they haven't grown. Now think about the dejection as a leader, as a spiritual authority figure in their lives, and they have not grown at all. And the problem is we're dealing with the exact same thing today because we are dealing with something that is corrupt. And you have it, and I have it. It's our heart. We have a corrupt heart that desires to lead us astray. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? We have a corrupt heart that desires to do its own thing. And we see the reality, number three in your notes, the reality in verse number 10. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. Samuel agrees to the request, but before he does that, he tells them the reality, what was going to happen. Because Samuel was a faithful prophet in that he shared God's word first. You notice that? Look at verse number 10 again. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. He didn't say, let me tell you why you shouldn't first. He said, let me tell you what God said first. Let me tell you how what God thinks of this. And as a preacher, you don't need my opinion. You need God's word. We don't need the opinion of man. We need God's word. Because I can make you laugh, cry, all this different stuff, wear a bright jacket uh, to where you're wiping your eyes saying, it's too bright, put the other one back on, please. Uh, but you know, I can do all of that. But at the end of the day, only God can change the heart. Only God can do a work in our hearts and lives that leads about lasting change. I'll lean the other way so I don't turn off my microphone again. Uh, but John MacArthur said, A good shepherd is not known by how gently he pets the sheep. A good shepherd is known by how well he protects them and feeds the sheep. 
That is the mark of a good shepherd. And we have a good shepherd. We have a good shepherd. And I'm not talking about me. Uh, We have a good shepherd. We have the chief shepherd. And he doesn't pet us, stroke us. He lovingly protects us and he lovingly feeds us. And he feeds us what we need, not necessarily what we want. I mentioned on Sunday night in our growth group, there are passages in the scripture, or maybe it's Sunday morning, there are passages in this Bible I don't like. Because they cut me to my heart. They tell me to do stuff that my flesh doesn't want to do. But I need to do it. There are passages in this book that I don't agree with, but I do them because it's good for me. Hebrews 4.12 says, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, 17, all scriptures give my inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that we can be spiritually mature, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. His word is what we need, not an opinion. His word. Now, what's interesting about this commentary is how many times over the next nine verses he tells them about the king and about himself. In, in, from verse number 11 to verse number 18, 22 times he mentions the king. 12 times he mentions them. Look at verse 11. He said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. Just for, for context. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. For his chariots be his horsemen. Some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands, captains over fifties. And will set them to ear his ground and reap his harvest. And to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olivers, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He's trying to give, paint a great picture to them of what they're agreeing to. You're getting ready to lose all that God has provided. Now think about that. Your sons, your daughters, your land, everything you have will no longer be yours. All of the blessings of God. Remember, Moses told them, when we go into the promised land in Deuteronomy He said, when we go into the promised land and we go into houses that we didn't build and vineyards that we didn't plant, all of those things, what was the warning? Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. You're going to get to a place where you think that all this stuff came from you. And it didn't come from God. And he's reminding them, hey, all of the blessings, every one of these blessings that he mentions, the similarity, they all came from God. The common thread, every single one of these things came from God. And they're willing to trade all of that for what they want. We give it all up just so we can get what we want. Everything that they had made, they had grown, birthed, would be for the purpose of giving those things to a king. See, God's design is for everything that he provides to bring him glory But that was not their intent. They wanted an earthly king. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Why? Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. We bring him honor and glory because he's the one who blesses us. And he is the one who gets the glory. And we might be under the authority of others. But just remember, make no mistake, we still have a king. It doesn't matter who's in the White House, our king is still on the throne. 
we have a king. So are we bringing glory and honor to him? Philippians 2.11, and every tongue should confess. That's not just the world. We like to be like, yeah, all those people who are against God, they're going to get their day. That's also talking about us. We're going to confess. You say, well, man, I'm excited about it. But contextually and on the timeline, we haven't been judged. <laughs> we, we have not stood before the Lord and received our reward yet. It's easy to say, man, I'm going to give him glory. But we haven't been through our judgment yet. As believers, standing before him and hearing how well we did in this life for him to bring him glory. So why do we have to wait for it to come? Why can't we bring him glory right now? Right now. The reality. And then lastly tonight we see the resemblance. When you get to verse number 19, they had heard everything that Samuel said. They had listened and the end result was unchanged. They said, verse 19, nevertheless... The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Now think about all of the things that Samuel had led them through. All of the track record, all of the history that he had with them. And they said, nope, we don't want to hear it. Their mind was made up. This wasn't a consultation. This was an information. This was a simple, hey, we're not consulting you. We're not asking for your advice. We're notifying you of our decision, Samuel. And you can either go along with it or we'll do it without you. And that would have been even more destructive. It was destructive, but it could have been even worse. And the people said, we don't want it. Verse 19, and they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. And then they doubled down the reason, verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations. And that, get this, here's the next layer of this. And that our king may judge us and go out before us, and here it is, and fight our battles. Who was judging them up to this point? Well, you could say, you know, Samuel, but ultimately, God. Who was the one going out before them in the battle before this point? It wasn't Samuel, it was God. And they lost the satisfaction that they had with God. It is possible for us to get so far away from the Lord that we forget the blessings that He gives to us. And we trade them for a cheap substitute. Well, I want what I want, and I want it now. You might get what you want, but you lose what you have. You might get it, but that doesn't mean that you're going to like it. I'm so thankful, that old country song, Unanswered Prayers. You know, I'm thankful that there are times in our life when we pray and say, God, just give this to me. And he says, no, because he ultimately knows what it will do to us. Uh, take, take, there's uh, the song, There Must Be a Greater Yes. When he says no, that means that there's a greater yes. Uh, all those times when we say, God, just give me. And he says, wait, because you don't know what comes with it. Judges chapter 2, verse 17, very similar situation. It says, And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. They said, We're done. We're done. And that's where these people were. In verse 21, it says, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. The people spoke to Samuel. He talked to God. Samuel went back to the people and told them what God said. They spoke to Samuel. Samuel went back to God. That cycle. 
Back and forth, verse 22. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto their voice and make them a king. Make them a king. Give them, Samuel, what they want. Samuel was living out the time period of the judges. That's what he's doing. A lot of commentators believe that Samuel was the last judge. The last one before the time period of the kings. They did not see the value in having God ruling over them. For God to lead them, to judge them, to fight their battles for them. So Samuel takes the words back to the Lord. They want a king. And he says, give them what they want. And it shows the beginning of the end of Samuel's ministry. Oh, he'd still be an advisor. He'd still be somebody who would speak and consult to uh, to Saul and uh, to David ultimately. But... He was just that, an advisor, nothing more. He was not a spiritual judge. He was no longer a prophet. They got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. And you think, we think about what we're getting for what we're giving up for our decisions. It's, is it worth losing what we have to get what we want? Is it worth me having exactly what I want, when I want it, the way that I want it, yet losing what God has provided. Because if God knows what I need, He'll give it to me. When I need it, the way that I need it, and what I need it to be. But if I don't have it, then that must mean that I don't need it. Think about that. If I don't have it, it must mean, at least right now, in the moment, because God knows what I need and He provides my needs, But if I don't have it right now, it must mean that right now, I must not need it. And God will provide what I need, when I need it, in the way that He wants me to have it. Whether it's losing a wife to gain a sinful relationship, or tell my kids off, I'm going to put them in their place, but you lose respect. You spend money now, but pay for it later. I take more hours at work now and less time with my family in a critical season of life. I give my kids what they want with their friends, but I give up a voice in their lives. No matter what it is, is what I'm giving up worth what I'm going to gain? A yes is a no to something else. A no is a yes to something else. So it wasn't for the people. It wasn't worth it. But will it be that way for us in our lives? Are we getting what we need, not what we want? in the decisions that we make. Father, thank you so much for your word. and Thank you for the life of Samuel. Lord, he was a faithful prophet to go back and forth with the people, but Lord, almost in a certain way, a little too late, too little, too late. Lord, I ask that you please help us to count the cost and see if the decisions that we're making are worth what we're going to give up. Lord, I ask that you please help us to consult with you and help us to know what your will is. Help us to see that you're going to provide for us in your timing, in your way, when you want it to happen, the way you want it to happen, what you want us to have. But Lord, help us to trust you until then. Lord, I ask that you please help us not to get ahead of you. Lord, help us to walk with you. And Lord, I ask that you please help us to look at the life of Samuel and be satisfied Lord, content with your leadership, your direction. Lord, I ask that you please help us to follow you. We love you so much and thank you for loving us and thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to go into our prayer time.